Amen. Look at verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This chapter, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but I've said it before. I'll say it again. It is about preserving good doctrine. We want to be teaching the same things. We want to pass on the same things. If we start another church, if we send somebody out, we want them teaching the same things. We do not want our Baptist church to morph into something that doesn't even resemble the Baptist church, something that never existed before. And that kind of thing can happen. So we have to diligently teach the doctrines and the things that we believe. And we've got to make sure we get it right if we want to preserve these things. And so jump down to verse 14. It says, Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. We've got to be careful. We don't get caught up in weird stuff because some of those things are going to get us distracted. They're meant to confuse, to subvert the hearers. And so then he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. When you get off on doctrine, it will affect your behavior. It will affect how you live. And we will probably talk about that next week. Okay, uh, And this is really going to be a two-part series. I probably This should probably be several parts, but I'm going to cram several messages really into two. Because there's just some very important things I want to uh, I want to share, especially too on our 11th anniversary as a church. We want to be here for another 11 years. When we and then 11 years from now too. While obviously there's going to be some changes. Hopefully they'll be for the better. You know, hopefully we'll be stronger. But you know, we also there should be some resemblance of what we were today too. We shouldn't be this whole new thing. We shouldn't be, you know, Liberty Church or something like that. You know, we should still, hopefully, 11 years from now, we're going to resemble Baptists, Independent Fundamental Baptists. Hopefully, we're still going to be, you know, know, this is how I dressed 11 years ago. This is how I did my hair 11 years ago. And you know what? It was about the same amount of hair, too. All right? You know, I know I don't have much, but about the same. You know, there's, there's been some little things that have changed, but we definitely are... I think still what we were 11 years ago, and we want to be that 11 years from now. But if we are not careful, if we allow bad teaching to come into this church, it's going to increase into more ungodliness. And look what it says in verse 17, and their word, all right, these, this false teaching, it will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past and overthrow the faith of some. So sometimes when people get off on doctrine, it's not always because they're just these horrible wolves in sheep's clothing. Sometimes they just make mistakes. Here it says these guys, they erred. They made a mistake. Somewhere in their teaching, somewhere in their study of the Bible, they made a mistake. They were surely using the Bible, but they misused that Bible. They did not rightly divide the Bible and their error caused them to go as far as to say that the resurrection was already passed. And as a result of this, they were overthrowing the faith of people. And I like how Paul put it. He said their word will eat as doth a canker. Now, we don't use that word a lot today unless you have a canker sore in your mouth. Anybody ever get canker sores in the mouth? Those are not pleasant. I don't know that that's necessarily the same thing. But if you look up the word uh, canker in the dictionary, it's uh, it's a disease incident to trees which caused the bark to rot and fall now if you remember last week we talked about the vine and the branches and how a branch if it's going to bear good fruit and if it's going to bear much fruit we've got you know god's going to purge that branch and take care of it so it will produce fruit and it kind of makes sense that as a church trying to preserve good doctrine so we can bear fruit it would make sense that the, that the writer would say, you know, we don't want to have a canker coming in, something that destroys trees. We don't want a false teaching that will come in and destroy this church where we're not bearing fruit like we should. And that kind of thing, it happens. So I think that's very possible. This is what it's talking about. But um, another definition is a virulent, corroding ulcer or anything that corrodes, corrupts, or destroys. So something... He said, there's a lot of things that 
uh, you know, they rot and they spread. Like even like rust in a vehicle, if you get that one spot where it gets started, it can kind of start spreading. And that's how it is with a lot of sicknesses, cancers. Here it says an eating, corroding, virulent uh, humor or corrosion. And then if you look up the Greek definition of it, the Greek word is gangrena or like gangrene, which you get that in your body. You know, typically they got to cut that part of the body off. You know why? Because that will spread. You get gangrene in your leg or arm or something like that. That's bad. Nobody wants to get their arm cut off, but you don't want that getting in the rest of your body. If it does, you're going to die and you're going to be in trouble. And so we need to understand that there are bad teachings that often can come into churches that if not dealt with, okay, these there's false teachings that come into church that doesn't all of a sudden immediately mean that church is just not bearing any fruit. That church is no good anymore. But let me tell you, when those teachings come in, if they are not dealt with, they eventually will infect that church. They will spread and they will eventually kill a church. There are false teachings that are like that. And that's what Paul is comparing the false teaching that these guys were teaching. This, wherever it was where they erred, and Paul doesn't tell us where it was. Wherever it was, they made an error somewhere that caused them to go off into a damnable heresy, teaching that the resurrection has already passed, and this was overthrowing the faith of people. And so he called it, he called it a canker. It says their word will eat as doth a canker. It will spread. It will destroy. And so we need to understand false doctrine and sin are both cankers that can destroy a church. There's always going to be mistakes that come up. You know, people in the church are going to make mistakes. Good people trying to learn the Bible. They're going to make errors. I might make an error. The important thing is, when we see those errors, that we deal with them, that we don't let them sit there and then grow and spread and then and do damage. We don't want to let that kind of thing happen. Same thing too with sin. There's always going to be sin. There's always going to be people who mess up and make mistakes. The question is, are we going to deal with it or are we going to just let it go and then let it grow and spread and cause damage? We can't do that. And so what I want to talk about tonight, because, and there's a lot of stuff we could talk about, but I want to mainly just focus on four things, if I can get through all of these tonight, that I think are common cankers in Baptist churches. I think there's something, you know, there's some things I don't think we have to worry about. So, you know, there's a lot of different cankers, okay? For example, uh, tongue talking, okay? But you know what? You don't see that popping up in Baptist churches too often. I think we're pretty safe there. We've done a good job of keeping the te that weird teaching out. You know, work salvation, um, you know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of crazy teachings out there. But being independent, fundamental, King James only Baptist, you know, understand we are capable of going into false doctrine. We are capable of allowing cankers into our church. And so, again, I want our church to be here 11 years from now. I want us to still be a King James only church 11 years from now. I want us to still believe the same salvation 11 years from now. I want us to be all these things that we are I want 11 years from now. And I think there are certain things that if that we are more susceptible to as independent, fundamental King James only Baptists. And so those are the things I want to talk about tonight, because these things are in Baptist churches all over the place. And this is not good stuff. This is stuff we want to keep out of this church because I do. I think they're cankers and they do a lot of they do a lot of damage. So the first thing and don't get offended when I say this first, you know, let me define it. But one teaching we don't want to get in this church is the double inspiration of the King James Bible. Okay? I, we don't want to do that. Now, there's some really bad... There are a lot of King James only people that are teaching some really dumb stuff that just doesn't make sense. Okay? Now, here's what I believe about our King James Bible. I believe we get all the same teaching from the King James Bible that we got in the Hebrew and Greek. I don't believe we get anything extra. Okay? And so I believe what we have in our perfect King James Bible is a result of the miracle of preservation. I believe God's word is inspired, and I believe that he preserved his word for the English-speaking people in the King James Bible, and therefore we have the same thing that they had in the Hebrew and Greek. Here's what I don't believe. I don't believe we have anything extra. 
If we have something extra, that's what I mean when I talk about double inspiration. Like when the King James translators translated the Bible, all of a sudden we've got all this new stuff. No, if we got something new, then if we got something different than what was in the originals, then it's not really the word of God. It's not the same thing. It's not what Paul talked about. It's not what he told Timothy. And let's look at just a few verses that people often use to prove the King James Bible. And yet these, and they'll even use these verses teaching their weird stuff. But if we just critically think about this for a few seconds, we'll see this is just foolish stuff. But Matthew 5, 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. If the jot and tittle is important, okay, if it's, if it's that important to God, then why in the world would we get something extra from the chapter numbers, from the verse numbers that were added later? And a lot of people will tell you, a lot of people today are pulling teaching from things, they're using things like numerology. That is a bunch of garbage. You've got guys talking about how Psalms 119, that's the Word of God chapter in the Bible. Okay, I mean, I guess that's a good title for it. You know, the Bible doesn't give it that title, but if, but if theologians want to give it that title, great. It is all about the Word of God. But did you also know there's 176 verses? And 16 times 11 is 176. That proves King James Bible. Wait a minute. So adding the number and verse marks gave an extra revelation that was not in the Hebrew and Greek that the King James Bible is the Bible for the English-speaking people. That's stupid, okay? That, that you're, you're getting an extra message that wasn't in the Hebrew and Greek. You're not allowed to do something like that. Listen, you know, and you say, well, isn't that kind of a coincidence? No, you can make numbers do whatever you need them to do. That's just, that's just weird. You've got people counting words in the Bible, counting, you know, counting words in a verse and pulling meanings from that. And I'm not even going to go into some of that stuff. I, I hear these things all the time and they just, and you know what? King James only people are the only people that do that stuff. Nobody does that in the NIV world. It's only King James people. And it's like, will you all stop it? Because I'm King James only and you're making us look weird. This doesn't even make sense. This is garbage. And some of the extremes people are going to, it will just blow your mind. And I said, so I'm not going to go into a lot of these. I've talked about some of these before. I don't need to repeat them. But we need to understand if we are getting something extra from our King James Bible, then what we have is different from the original. And I think the jot and tittle matter to God. It says in Revelation 22, 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of, the prop of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. So listen, if the King James translators added some stuff to it, if we got some extra revelation, then you know what? Those guys are going to hell. According to this passage, how we interpret it all the time, we shouldn't get something extra from our King James Bible that wasn't in the original. And you know what? We're not getting anything extra. We're getting the same thing because it is an accurate translation, but King James only want to just go into all this. People always want to go into this weird stuff and it's not right. And it makes the Bible look stupid. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to strive about words of no profit, but to the subverting of the hearer. We're going to start arguing about, um, you know, and what, if, what if somebody adds something up and it's bad? You know, then what are we going to do? You know, you know, what are we supposed to do about that? You know, and, and, you know, and you know, so there's a lot of examples we can do, but this numerology foolishness is horrible. Paul said, the things that you've heard among many witnesses, the same commit out of faithful men. We should be preaching the same thing Paul and Timothy's preaching, but you know what we have people doing today? They're preaching things that you can only get out of a King James Bible, that then if that's the case, then Paul couldn't have taught these things to Timothy. These are, these are new things that were added to the Bible. And we see in Revelation, we're not supposed to add things. So, you know, again, I'm, I think I'm as King James only as you can get, 
And I think you're veering off from King James onlyism when you are adding, you're acting like it adds to the Word of God. That is foolishness. Another thing King James only people do too is they make up, or they they make up new meanings of words that are that are synonyms. Okay? You can't do now. What I mean by that, um, Amos nine eleven. We covered this one on Wednesday. Okay, I, you, um, you turn over to Acts chapter fifteen. Okay, on Wednesday we went through Acts chapter fifteen, and I want you to look at Acts fifteen and verse sixteen. In verse fifteen it says. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. So notice, James is about to quote the Old Testament. Now you all follow along in verse 16. I'm going to read Amos 9.11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Eden and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Now, is that word for word the same? No, it's not. But you know what? It communicates the exact same thing. So you know what? We don't need to get some of that. Well, you know, in Amos, it uses the word heathen. In Acts, it uses the word Gentile. I wonder why that is. Gentile has a deeper meaning to it. And, no, it means it has to mean the same. It means the same thing, but people will do that all the time. Where the Bible sometimes in one place it'll use one word, another place it uses another word, and then they want to tell you it's because there's a different meaning to it. For example, the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew, and the kingdom of God in Mark, Luke, and John. Oh well, you know I wonder why they use the term heaven there. You know why? Because it's a different kingdom. Because things that are different are not the same. No, it's the same thing. Sometimes in the Bible too. I mean, they'll use the exact same quotes, tell them from the exact same story. One gospel it called it the kingdom of heaven. One gospel it called it the kingdom of God. I was talking to a preacher the other day. He said that the reason they do that, and this this might be valid, is that Matthew was something that was specifically written to the Jews, and it was offensive to the Jews during that time to write down the name of God on things. And so instead of just saying God, they just said heaven instead. So, but it's. Either way, it means the same thing. It's the exact same thing. And, but, you know, they, the, and, and guess what? King James only people are the only ones that do this. You will not find people outside the independent fundamental King James only Baptist who are teaching that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two different things. And it's because we make such a big deal about the words being King James only that people are going even further and if the Bible uses two different words, even though they're synonyms, it's got to have a different meaning. No, it doesn't. Folks, that's foolish. That will, and, and that leads to crazy teachings like the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are two different kingdoms. And it's just not the case. This is wrong. Um, Deuteronomy 8.3. All right, Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee known that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Now, in Matthew 4, 4, it says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So I wonder what the difference is between alone and only. Nothing. It's the same thing. Alone and only the same thing. It says in Luke 4, 4, Jesus answering him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So we need to understand there's every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, and then there's every word of God. Like they're two different things. It's the same thing. Okay? Yeah, they might have worded it a little differently, but it's still the same thing. And we don't need to try to pull some different meaning from Luke 4.4 that we get from Matthew 4.4. Because it's worded different. And you know, and here's another thing too. King James only are the only ones that make a big deal about this. King James only are the only ones that teach this. If, and, and if you look at, if your Bible has, you know, and how the words are italicized, in Deuteronomy 8.3, when it says, man shall not live by bread only, it's italicized. Okay? Meaning the translators, they added that word in. 
Okay? But in the New Testament, when Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, it's not italicized. You know what that means? Jesus quoted the italicized word. And I, I've listened to people go nuts when they hear that. Somebody preached that here one time. Okay? Now, you say, well, what's going on there? You know what that means? It just means that they translated it right. Because in the Hebrew, obviously, they, needed, they didn't need as many words to explain bread alone. Where in the Greek language, they need it. And I don't know Greek or Hebrew, but that's how it is. Some languages, you need more words to explain a thought. Where some words, uh, you know, one word might explain a, you know, more specific things. That's how it works in different languages. So the fact that it's not italicized in the Greek, it just tells me that they translated it right. That, that, that's all that that means. There's nothing to Jesus didn't quote the italicized word. And but preachers are preaching that all over the place. And guys will go whooping and hollering and counting the verse numbers in their Bibles and pulling meanings out of it after that. That is foolish. We don't need to do that. So just all that means the translators got it right. So there are there there's so many weird teachings that only come from KJV only people. And I'll be the first one to admit it. Okay? And 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 almost all of those weird teachings are from King James only dispensationalists too. That's another thing they have. And when you combine weird KJV only teachings with dispensationalism, you know what you're gonna get? You're gonna get some cankers in your church that will destroy your church where eventually you'll be preaching multiple gospels, you'll be preaching multiple kingdoms, you'll be preaching multiple raptures, you'll be pre preaching multiple brides, and these things are being preached all over independent, fundamental, King James-only Baptist churches today. And it's a bunch of garbage. We don't want to do that. And so the second canker that we see too is dispensationalism. Okay? Now, again, not everybody that claims to be a dispensationalist is a heretic. There, but there are certain things that are very common with dispensationalism that are cankers that if you do not cut these things off, if you do not deal with these things, they are going to grow into some severe Daniel heresies. Now turn over to Colossians. We're not going to do a deep study on dispensationalism tonight. But understand, that, you know, the, the word's only used four times in the Bible. Three out of the four times, it is, it is talking about the exact same thing the dispensationalists completely ignore. But we're just going to stay with Colossians tonight. We're not going to go to all of them. In Colossians 1.25, Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even So notice, he's a minister of the dispensation of God that's given to me. Now, what was this dispensation? Even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest unto a saint. So this dispensation is something that's always been around, but it was a mystery and it was not understood. But now this is understood. Paul is saying, this dispensation that I have, basically what it, this, is, this is information. This is a teaching. This is an, something that was in the Bible. It was in the Old Testament, but God didn't reveal it to the hearts of man. So there are things that we learn through the New Testament that we can find in the Old Testament, but at the same time, during the Old Testament time, they didn't understand those things that we understand. Because we received another dispensation. We received more information, and it says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This dispens whenever the Bible's talking about the word dispensation, it's not talking about the 12 dispensations, the seven dispensations, or however many dispensations we want to talk about. It's always talking about the fact that God was going to include the Gentiles. That's what it, that's what it is. That's what dispensations are. It is the, it is the revealing of the truth that was hidden in the past, that the Gentiles are going to be fellow heirs, that the Gentiles are going to be fellow citizens of the household of Israel. That's what he's talking about in Ephesians 1. That's what it's talking about in Ephesians 3. That's what it's talking about here in Colossians 1. But dispensationalism, they've literally taken the word that's from the Bible. They have ignored what, how that word is being used in the Bible. 
And they've come up with a teaching that is nothing more than a web of confusing lies mixed with some truth just so they can keep Israel as a focal point. Just so they can keep propping up Zionist foolishness. Just so they can keep calling people who reject the Messiah the chosen people. Just so they can get themselves out of here before any tribulation comes. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And so, dispensationalism, it's led to many foolish doctrines and some damnable heresies. When you're teaching they got saved by faith plus works in the Old Testament, that's a damnable heresy. When you're teaching that they're going to get saved by faith plus works in the tribulation, damnable heresy. It, that's horrible. When you're teaching, that a lot of people are teaching this. And I even heard a non-dispensationalist teach this the other day. That God the Father has a bride, the Jews, and Jesus has a bride, the church. That is garbage. That is not that is not right. That is a horrible, horrible teaching. And you know what? I'm sure there's a, some other groups that have stolen this stuff from the weirdo Baptists and things. But I'm telling you, this type of foolishness is mainly taught in Baptist churches, and we do not want this in our church. So the the Zionism. The fact, and, and, the, and you know, in a lot of churches that aren't Zionists are doing this Israel worshiping, Israeli flag waving, Jew supporting stuff. This that stuff is wrong. That stuff should not be in churches. And let me tell you something. A lot of times you can have diseases and things, and the symptoms are hard to find. But eventually you start getting these putrefying sores and things like that that make it obvious we've got a big problem. Sometimes they're internal. But let me tell you, you want to know when a church has a putrefying sore that needs to be dealt with and cut off is when they got an Israeli flag on their platform. When you've gone that far to put an Israeli flag on the platform, hey, we got a problem. Somebody needs to have a talk with the pastor in this church and say, hey, you're taking this stuff way too far. When you're raising money for Israeli military, we've gone way too far. Okay, listen, if you just want to think there's a big revival coming for them in the future. You know what? I think you can keep bearing fruit with that in mind. But when you start when you start doing dumb stuff like that, when you start teaching, go to Jerusalem and Judea, it means our priority as Christians in Rock Falls, Illinois, should be to get the gospel to those in Jerusalem. You've gone too far. We've got a big problem. Have you ever gone to the doctor? A guy's probably the worst about this, where you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, why are you just now coming here? Did you not see that putrefying sore? You know, was the pus and all the stuff running out of your arm not a good sign that you should probably come to the doctor? Uh, we're always too tough for that, right? And let me tell you, when you do, when you've got Baptist preachers preaching with a prayer shawl over their shoulders and over their head, we've got a big problem. You should have dealt with this a long time ago when you're pre proving a pre-trib rapture by teaching a Jewish wedding in a about the Jewish wedding in a Baptist church. You've gone too far with this stuff. You should have went to the doctor a long time ago. You should have got this teaching taken care of a long time ago. We've got a big problem here. But you know what this stuff comes from? It starts with dispensationalism. It starts with people wanting to hang on to you know a relatively new teaching when you stop and think about it historically. And it's, it's dead wrong, and we ought to completely reject it. And people's, you know, people's interpretation of dispensations, dispensations can vary greatly. So, you know, please, and I've caught people too who, who listen to me, not people here in this church, who have been extremely critical of some good churches because they consider themselves dispensationalists. I don't want people to do that. I don't want, I don't want people to listen to this sermon and then they go and they hear their pastor say dispensation, and they're like, I'm, I'm leaving that church. No, listen, no, don't do that. Okay, don't, don't, go that, don't go that far. Some people interpret it differently, but just understand it is an error, and some preachers barely talk about it at all. They almost never mention it. I talked to a pastor recently, and he's like, you know, he's like, I've probably said the word dispensation in my church three times, you know. He's like, but I consider myself a dispensationalist. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a little problem there. But you know what? I'm not going to strain at the gnat. Okay? He doesn't believe multiple gospels. He doesn't believe anybody got saved by faith plus works in the Old Testament. And so, just because you heard that word come out of his mouth, you know, don't write that guy off. 
They're, they're a good guy. Maybe they're a little sick. Okay, listen, there's some people that are sick, but you know, we don't want to just go bury them. You know, we don't want to just go put them in the grave. You know, they're sick, but you know, we can help these people out. You know, they still have life. They still have value. You know, but we got some people that are so hardcore, they see somebody that's just got a little sickness or something, let's put them down before it spreads. No. We don't even do that with people with contagious diseases. You know, we're not like, uh, what was everybody joking about in South, was it North Korea? How they didn't have any COVID cases, they'd have one and then all of a sudden zero. You know, just joking about how they were just killing anybody that got, we don't want to do that. Listen, if you have COVID, that's bad, but you still have value. You know, you can survive it. You know, you can get, you can get over it. But we've got a lot of independent fundamental Baptists that get real zealous about some of these doctrines. And as soon as they see evidence that somebody has a symptom of dispensationalism, a symptom of one of these other things, let's take them down. Let's reprobate them. Let's call them, let's call them here. No, they still have some value. But you know what? Let's pray that they get that out of them before that infection spreads. Because it can be bad. So we, we want to be careful about this. The third thing, too, we've got to watch out for, I don't really know what to call this, but I'm just going to call it what I want to call it. I'm going to call it ghost chasing. Okay, ghost chasing. I, I wanted to preach a whole sermon on this, but I was just afraid I was going to get a little too carnal if I did and enjoy myself a little too much. And so I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm using it as one point. But in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1, it says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom ye have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit whom we have not, ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. So notice it talks about here about another spirit. And let me tell you, there are a lot of Baptist churches today that are doing so this thing where they are their churches are so dead they have such little faith in the bible that the only way that they can feel like there's any life in their church is if a ghost shows up and causes something to happen in the service and i'm calling it a ghost because it ain't the holy ghost all right it's another spirit and the proof that you know they would say we have the other spirit but the proof that we are not the ones with another spirit is because we are the ones that continue to teach simplicity in Christ. When you become a ghost chaser, when you become a chaser of spirits of the wrong spirit in a church, you know what you always do? The symptom is you complicate the gospel. And these people today that are going around trying to conjure up a Holy ghost movement, they all complicate the gospel. Folks, I've list, I study camp meeting preaching. I listen to camp meeting preaching anytime I get the opportunity to do it. And I listen to these guys that are all about just hyping everybody up, firing everybody up, getting you all excited, getting you all running glory laps, getting you all coming to the altar, getting you all crying. And there's guys, they're good at getting everybody worked up. They know how to get everybody fired up. They know how to get you all rowdy. They know how to get you running. They get up there. They know how to get you crying. They know how to manipulate your emotions. They know how to do all those things. But you know what those guys can't do? They can't preach a clear salvation. You know what they you know what they have constantly in all their services? Church members coming and getting saved again. Listen, that's what they all have in common in the camp meetings. They all have been baptized fifteen times. All of them. All the preachers' kids of camp meeting preachers, they've been baptized over and over and over again. What's going on? I tell you what when you start doing this thing where you're trying to chase the Holy Ghost to get some kind of movement, to get some kind of laugh in the church. I'm telling you, that stuff's the wrong spirit. This lap running, rolling in the aisles, somersaults in the pool, on the platform, jumping in the baptistry, all that stuff. I'm saying that's another spirit. Okay? I enjoy watching it as much as anybody else. Okay? I enjoy acrobats. You know, I enjoy things like that. But I'm telling you, it's out of the Holy Ghost. And yet, and, and, and the proof, you know, all these people, they complicate salvation. You know what? Watch these camp meeting videos. That I, that I share, some of the, a lot of these camp meeting videos I share, you know what they all have in common? I watch, I study these people. When they all start running laps, when they, whether it be during a song, whether it be during the preaching, you want to know what gets them running laps more than anything when you start talking about their changed life. That's what always gets them doing it more than anything. 
Now, why is that? You know what? Because some people, they, they have such a lack of faith that they, they've been so corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ, they can't just believe that simple message, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I've got to have a sign, too. You know, you know, they can't just believe when the Bible says that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. I need to see something. Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells us. I need to see something. I need to feel something. It's like, oh, okay, okay um, all right, I need my pre- people in our church to actually be the Holy Spirit's in them. What can I do? Apparently, I can't show them what the Bible says and them just believe it. We're going to have to make something happen. We're going to have to cause them to run a glory lap. We're going to have to cause them to get slain in the Spirit or something like that. You know, and folks, that's not right. They've, they've made, these camp meeting preachers, they've made salvation about some mystical experience. You've got to have a head-on collision with the Holy Ghost. What does that even mean? What does that mean? You know, I believe what the Bible says about salvation. I believe what the Bible says about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I put my faith and trust on Jesus Christ. I called on Him for salvation. That's, that's how I got saved. I know I'm saved because of the Word of God. But then you'll have preachers out there. No, these people have never had a head-on collision with the Holy Ghost. They've never had a changed life. Well, how was I supposed to change when I was five years old? I couldn't give up my cigarettes. I didn't have any. You know, what do you, what do you give up at five years old when your parents tell you everything to do? How do you change your life at five years old? Do you quit hitting your sisters? I mean, because then I didn't get saved until I moved out. You know, I mean... And they have, they made it so confusing. And then you have young people, they grew up in these churches and they, I've never had these Holy Ghost experiences. I've never had this changed life. And so I don't know if I'm saved. Some preacher gets them all emotional, tells them all these stories about hell, tells them stories about the guy, how he was dying in the hospital and he knew this demon was coming. He's screaming for help. And all of a sudden he jumps up out of his bed and it's like he, he just takes off running. It's like he ran into a wall and he just fell down. And he got up again. He just took off running. And it was like he ran into a wall and just fell down again. And he's screaming, don't let him take me. Don't let him take me. Don't let him drag me to hell. I'm on fire. And they start screaming and all these things. That's probably going to be you. Are you sure you really got it? Boy, hell's real, folks. And you got guys, man, they preach hell hot. And they preach it so good, you think you're in hell. I mean, they're that, that good a storyteller. Well, when I was sitting in church, I, I, I felt like I could smell the sulfur. I felt like I could feel the flames of hell. That preacher, he was preaching so hard. And boy, I just knew if I didn't get down to that altar, if I didn't, get, if I didn't go and repent of all my sins, if I didn't go, I, I knew I was going to split hell wide open. I knew I probably wasn't going to make a home that night. And I went and I changed my life after that. And boy, look at what God's done in my life. And you, did you ever have anything like that? No, I remember hearing... My, you know, my preacher and my parents teach me about how Jesus paid for my sins. And then if I'd trust him, he'd save me. And I just, you know, I just, I asked. I, I thought he was going to save me. I mean, the Bible said he would. That was what I believed. But I didn't have an experience like that. Well, what am I going to do? Well, apparently you got to got to get emotion, got to cry. So, you know, you force out some tears, you know, and it helps if the music's going. It helps if, you know, the dramatic story's been told. You can get emotional. And then what do they do? They come crying up to the altar. You know, I'll repent of all my sins this time. But then, a month later, they're still struggling in the flesh. Because we still have flesh. I thought I wasn't going to do this anymore. I thought, I, you know, I must not have meant it. I must not have meant it. Camp meeting comes around next year. I've been struggling with sin. I thought I repented of all my sins last year, but I still struggle in the flesh. I guess I didn't really mean it. I'm going to, go, I'm going to mean it this time. All right. Mean it. Mean it. And, and you know what? You know what? The recovering fundamentalists, all those guys were from the camp meeting world. They all tell the stories about how they used to force out the tears, how they used to do it. They, they tell these stories about how they used to do all these things. Listen, those guys are garbage and what they're doing is wrong, but you know what? They were driven to that foolishness. You know, it's, it's sad that they responded the way that they did. They should have just gotten in a good Baptist church that's not doing a bunch of weird ghost chasing stuff. And they, they should have just embraced the simplicity that's in Christ. But you know, the funny thing is, those guys preach as bad on repentance as anybody in the IFB or the camp meeting world does. That's what's that's what the craziest thing about it. They're not even preaching a simple salvation. 
But you know, this is the reason people get caught up in that. Because you can get to where the Bible's just not enough for you. So you know what you need? It wasn't enough when Jesus was just telling these Pharisees the truth. What did they kept saying? Show us a sign. Jesus said a wicked, wicked adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And you know what these people are doing? They're coming to these churches because you know what? The Bible's dead to them. The Holy Spirit's not doing any, anything in their life. They don't just believe what the Bible says. Nothing's happening in their church because they're being disobedient. These camp meeting people don't go soul winning. These camp meeting people are not preaching the Bible the way they're supposed to. So you know what they do? You know, I, I need to go and I need to get my you know yearly, quarterly, semi-annual, whatever, booster shot of the Holy Ghost so I can feel like that I've got some life in me. And so they do. They get the preachers, they get up there, and they work everybody into a tizzy. And you know what, man? I totally got out of character. I was running glory laps. I was doing somersaults. That's just not me. But boy, you know, when you get under the glory spout, you never know what's going to happen. And the truth is, that, that, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and yeah, it's like, it wasn't me. It must have been God. Where do we ever see him acting like that in the Bible? And folks, you don't see it. Okay? Them just singing and shouting with a loud noise doesn't mean they're behaving like idiots. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. But these people, too, again, they don't preach a simple salvation. They preach a confusing salvation, and it's proved every year with their church members getting saved over and over again. It's a bunch of garbage. They're teaching confusing things about repentance. They do. They make everything about the changed life. All these songs. I know the songs when they're running the aisles. It's always songs about their changed life. I changed. I did this. I'm not what I used to be. It's not about what Jesus did. They sing about what Jesus did. Boring. But no, it's all about what they did. My changed life. I've been changed. I did this. I did that. Not understanding too. These changes are on the inside. You're still sinful. You still have the flesh. God can't even let you into heaven in your condition that you're in right now. It's like they don't even realize all that. When the rapture comes, he's going to have to change your vile body. Because this change that the Bible talks about, the word change is in the Bible. But yeah, the word change, though, it's one that's on the inward, inward man. That outward, it's still going to struggle, and you've got to sanctify yourself on the outside. God does it on the inside, and one of these days he'll do it on the outside. You've got guys like Phil Kidd who regularly brags about how many people he gets saved. And these are his, this is how he says it. Got a bunch of people saved last night from me giving my testimony. He's always getting so many, hundreds of people saved from his testimony. I thought people got saved by the gospel. I thought people got saved because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I get it. You can give your testimony and tell about how you got saved. Okay? But at, at, at the end of the day... Why is your story making people more likely to get saved? Only the gospel gets people saved. Here's why Phil Kidd's testimony is effective. Because Phil Kidd knows how to get the emotion out of people. Phil Kidd knows how to work up an audience and get them excited. Phil Kidd, you know, he's, he's an interesting person to listen to. And so these people are eating up his stories. He's talking about, oh, I used to sniff glue and I used to do drugs. And I, you know, he, told, he, he tells these stories great and they get better all the time. His life gets crazier all the time. You know, he was he, he get, his past gets worse all the time, the more you listen to him. And so people, they hear these things and he holds their attention and he works them up into emotion. And you know what? People have a fit and then they'll come and do a quick prayer and alter Nobody even really dealing with them. Nobody talking with them. People don't know anything. You know, and the thing is, too, people get so mad at us about our soul winning. Like, we're just so easy believers and there's no way these people are really getting saved. It's like, really? Us, one-on-one, -on -one, talking with people at their house on their turf for 15, 20 minutes minimum, you're saying that's not going to get them saved where we're able to address all their concerns. And you're saying five minutes at an altar with a crowd of people staring at them with music playing, with a preacher up there talking through the whole thing while an altar worker's trying You're saying that's going to get him saved. But what we're doing is less likely to get him saved? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. You know, how, you know how much pressure is on you? They're not going to be able to bring up any objections. They're not going to be able to bring up any concerns. It takes a while. 
Well, I don't care how good the preacher preached during a sermon on how clear his plan of salvation was. People always have hang-ups. People always have questions. And, and I've seen it before where preachers are literally rushing the altar workers. And, and they're, they're not stupid. They know everyone in the crowd's looking at them. But yet, you know, that's effective, but soul winning door-to-door isn't. That's baloney. That, that's not right. But you know what? It makes, for, it makes it look like God's doing something when you got people getting saved in the church service. And I'm not saying nobody gets saved in those things. I think, I think people do, for sure. But, you know, I think, they, I think they're the ones getting a lot more false conversions than we are because their people are also the ones getting saved every year. So, and getting baptized constantly. And I, I just don't think that's right. I think when churches resort to this ghost chasing stuff, it's because the glory has departed from their church. And they do. They need to see a sign, and that's not right. And the IFB is full of people today who are experts in just hyping people up with emotion, just like the Pentecostals, Midas the tongues, and being slain in the Spirit. Now, Greg Locke, he used to be a Baptist. He has not, I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's now doing the slaying people in the Spirit thing. Even he has resorted to this. You know why? Because he's been doing this emotionalism stuff for a long time. But eventually, that's just not enough. Eventually, it's like a drug. Just like you need to get stronger and stronger drugs all the time, pretty soon, glory laps isn't going to be enough. You know, pretty soon, the screaming ladies aren't going to be enough. Pretty soon, you're going to need somebody to smack you in the forehead, and you're going to need to convulse on the floor and do all that stuff. It's, it's, it's never enough for these people. It doesn't last. It's because it's not the real thing. It's another, it's another spirit. So, so in proof, these are the, our dead churches with no faith. And they don't think they're dead because people are running glory laps. Okay? But listen, you know, running the glory lap doesn't prove anything. Okay? When you really are going to have life, we'll know you'll really have life in your church when you start having mosh pits during the service. You know? All right? if that, if, I mean, if that proves you got the spirit, then you know what? Wouldn't it prove more? If, like, we all just split into two different groups and then we just all took off running and ran into each other. So, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. I don't see glory laps in the Bible anywhere. Oh, what about that guy that was crippled and got healed and, you know, he's running and leaping? Well, yeah. I mean, good night. If you'd never walked before and then you get healed, yeah, you're going to go test those legs out. You're going to go see what they can do. But this wasn't, that, he wasn't doing that because Sister Gertrude got emotional singing her song and started screaming. No, he got his legs healed, and he was finally able to walk for the first time. But no, they'll go to that. See, that proof right there? Run the glory lap. No, everybody would run the glory lap that was crippled if they could all of a sudden walk. And it's, it's not the same thing. And so these, uh, said so proof these are the dead churches, though, where there is no faith, is the total inconsistencies. They say they believe in soul winning, because you have to, as I have be, but yet their church members continue to get saved every other year. That's weird. That Something's wrong with your teaching when your members are getting saved over again. I'm not saying you can't have some in your church that's been confused, maybe had some bad teachings. You know, that kind of thing, it can happen. It's going to happen. But when it happens all the time, when it's happening to the pastor's kids every year, something's wrong. I'm not even saying that you're a heretic or that you're preaching a false gospel, I'm saying you're doing a bad job teaching. And there's a lot of preachers who I don't think are heretics, but they are bad, bad teachers. And they're confusing their people. And you know what? They need to do a little more study. They need to actually talk to some people. You know, maybe if they would actually get out and go soloing and talk to human beings that don't listen to their preaching every week, they find out what people's hang-ups are. They find out where people are getting confused. But they don't. They just, they don't get outside their own little world. And the devil's not deceiving these people into thinking they're saved. Okay, you know, why would the, de- you know, again, what they're saying works if you have a false gospel. Okay, but why would the devil deceive you into thinking because you believed on Christ, you're going to heaven? Why, w- why would the devil deceive you into thinking that? Because the devil's not going to want to make you believe on Christ. But at the same time, too, you know, the he might deceive into some of these other things. Like, yeah, you're good enough. Yeah, you're doing enough works. Yeah, you've repented of enough sins. 
He might do that kind of thing. And that's the thing these people are trusting in. And that's why they're so confused. But again, sometimes too, it's just because the pastor is confused the people through bad teaching. And I'm telling you, the Schofield Bible Belt is just eaten alive with all this junk that we're talking about. And it has turned some of these churches into circuses. Church members getting saved every year. And churches in the South, especially, they are preaching some of the weirdest doctrines that you will ever hear in any church. I don't hear the Pentecostals preaching about UFOs and aliens. Okay? I hear Ruckmanites. King James only, dispensational, Baptists, but Ruckmanites teaching that kind of stuff. I don't, I mean, I guess we do hear the Mormons preaching about inhabiting other planets. But other than Mormons, it's Baptists. King James only, Baptists. Teaching we're going to be inhabiting other planets one of these days. And listen, the danger of our, in a church like ours is when we see some of this stuff, we can go swinging the pendulum too far the other direction. And we don't want to do that either. We need to stay right in the center of God's word. And when mistakes come, we need to fix them. When false doctrine comes, we need to deal with it. We need to cut it out because those words will eat as doth a canker and they will disease our church to a point where we will not be fruitful anymore and that's where a lot of churches are at today a lot of churches are just eating up with a lot of sickness and they need to get it right they need to get back to the simplicity that's in christ they need to get away from this ghost chasing stuff stop trying to conjure up an atmosphere in your church a feeling in your church and start just believing the bible that's what these people need they don't need a holy ghost experience as they're calling it to prove they're safe they need to believe what the bible says Right here's the gospel. Right here's the Romans road. Do you believe it? If you believe it, ask the Lord to give you that gift of salvation. He's, what do you think he's going to do? Turn you down? What do you think he's going to do? No, you've got too many sins. No, he's going to keep his promises. But that is, folks, that's not enough. That's not enough for some people. I want a sign. And they're a wicked and adulterous generation. And we don't want that to happen to us. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help to everybody. I pray it'll help us to avoid these uh, crazy things that are coming up in a lot of Baptist churches. Lord, we, we do want to be here another 11 years from now still preaching the same thing, still preaching the truth. And Lord, help us never to become so dead that we need to be chasing after weird spirits and things, but help us to just keep on believing your word and trusting your word and being obedient to it until your return. In your name we pray. Amen.